chapter 5, that's where we're going to conclude today. 1 Thessalonians, look at a verse in chapter 5, and then we'll highlight a few things as we close out our refresher in relationship to being what Pastor Kent likes to call the proverbial tip of the spear in mission as God's people. So let's pray together, and I want to give you a definition, and then we'll have a testimony uh, from two folks in our church about what a blessing being the tip of the spear is, being used of God in Christian mission, and then we'll focus in the word together here this morning. Let's pray. Lord, help us to, as James says, be faithful hearers of the word and doers of the word that we might be blessed in our deed. We know that the divine nature that you've given to us according to Second Peter chapter 1 is our help by your grace pertaining to all things regarding life and godliness. Thankful, Lord, for an inspired, sufficient, preserved scripture for us that guides our steps. Pray, Lord, that everyone here would be determined to personally and then collectively help each other do the word. We think of the hymns that we've just sung. Lord, it seems like each one of them could have been penned by the hand of Job himself. We have sung together and ministered these high theological principles to one another in song today and in word. We're so thankful for that opportunity and I pray that we would all realize that no matter whether the word is sung or spoken meditated upon preached taught or discussed that it is indeed the word of God which effectually works in all of us in a supernatural way Help us, Lord, as we meditate upon it again this morning, in Christ's name, amen. I want to give you a brief definition. I want you to think about the tip of the spear. I want you to think about the mission of the church, um, being like a four-legged table. Right? All of us, from what we've learned last week, what we'll discuss again this morning, are to be this definition, by God's grace. So here it is. It's an individual, spirit-filled, local church opportunity to spiritually reproduce ourselves. Those are the four legs of the table. It's individual, it's spirit-filled, it's guided by the Spirit of God, it's based out of our local church together, this is the mission of the church, and it's a wonderful opportunity to spiritually reproduce ourselves. That really is the life of Jesus Christ. And we're realizing that. We'll focus on that again this morning. But it's each one of us drawing the circle around ourselves and begging God to be used as Christ was used in our own personal natural rhythms of our lives. And I will tell you that that is the sustainability and that is the perpetuity of any local church. And it's, a, it's an honor to be part of that mission. As we said the last couple weeks, if we were here to worship, if we were here to serve, if we were here merely to encourage one another, if we were here just to stay busy doing good local church things, then there would really be no reason for us to be here. Because we could do all that in heaven. Only in a perfect way. 
So why are we still here? We're here to strengthen one another and all those good and virtuous things to prepare ourselves to be the mission. And what is the mission? It's Christ's last words being our first command in Matthew 28. is to go into all the world and make disciples. So that's the four-legged table. That's the definition of what it means to be a disciple-maker. It's personal, guided by the Spirit, out of our local church because his marching orders to make disciples were given to the church. And that prophetic utterance in Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1. And the goal is to spiritually reproduce ourselves. Maybe it's common in your, in your life and maybe coming out of just kind of a refresher of the last few weeks we've been together uh, discussing the theological nuances and aspect of what being part of the Great Commission and the mission is, but maybe it'll become more of an opportunity for you to discuss with your family. Maybe you're around the dinner table and commutes in your car to the grocery store or wherever the Lord has you go during the course of the week to maybe talk more about your opportunities to reach others for Christ and what you're doing to prepare each other to do so until you reach someone for Christ. Maybe, maybe we'll know that we're becoming more of the tip of the spear of the mission. The more we pray about it and the more we talk about it as couples. I think I think that's a spirit-filled initiated conversation among spouses, among parents with their children, among anyone in the church, married or unmarried. It's natural to discuss and pray over being part of the reason why Jesus came to earth anyway. And it's okay because doing mission is hard to pray about it and talk about it with the more people all the better. The mission was difficult for Christ, wasn't it? The, the mission was difficult for his apostles, wasn't it? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is never going to be power, a popular, always powerful. Right? And the more we pray about it, and the more we become part of the tip of the spear, and the more we discuss it together and the opportunities that the Lord gives us, um, the more difficult it could be for you. And we'll realize that this whole life that we live to be spiritually reproductive is, is exclusively the life that Jesus lived and the very reason why he saved us. Okay? Uh, we have two ladies. If we can get a microphone fired up, this is not asked for before. We have two ladies that I just want you to hear from. There's so many in our church that are trying to figure out what being the tip of that spear really is. I want to let you know as your pastor, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to live the mission that Christ lived to the best of my ability in an imperfect way. But I think it's good to hear from people in our church who are trying to figure it out too and the blessings and the joys of what it means to try to be the mission we're going to be hearing from other folks on other Sunday mornings in the future just so that you can be encouraged that God does answer prayer when God puts you into his family and makes you a family of mission um, you don't have to do it alone we do it together and then as we do it together you need to hear how encouraging that can be all right so, uh, Rose and Andy, come on up. We'll have you stand down here. And uh, this is uh, one of many beautiful stories that the Spirit of God has 
allowed to evolve. And um, some of you may be familiar with their story of how their gospel story and their gospel journey together. Uh, but I really believe that these two, as well as many others here, their lives are the epitome of really Matthew 28, 19, and 20. I think they're, they're being the tip of the spear in a very prayerful way. And uh, I just hope their lives, are, their testimonies are encouraging to you this morning. So please share. Hi, I'm, I'm Rose. And this is my friend and sister in Christ, Andy. We met about 10 years ago when Andy's husband was receiving special treatments for his heart. And I'm a cardiology nurse. And I uh, was working at the Cleveland Clinic at the time. And I administered the treatments to him. And they lasted... Um, seven weeks, five days a week. Yes, so Andy and I got to know each other, and I got to know Bob, of course. And Andy and I maintained our friendship um, when the treatments ended. <clears throat> and we would be talking on the phone from time to time or go out to lunch, and she and Bob noticed that I was always bringing up God and what the Lord had done in my life. And I began to share that more and more with her. Um, one particular time, we were at Bob Evans, and um, I just remember the deer-in-the-headlights look from Andy and Bob as I was saying how important it is to be saved. And, um, well, I'll let her explain the rest. But um, so about when, within this year, last year, Andy came to know the Lord. And I must say, first of all, that I had the most wonderful disciple in the world, discipler, and that was Sharon Badig. I love her dearly. And, um, well, she's, yes, and I had told Andy, I said, why don't you come and meet Sharon? And from there, it just grew into the most glorious happening <laughs> and Christian walk. So I'm going to let Andy say the rest. So... We're coming up on my first birthday, March 15th. So, and I'm so grateful for Rose and that one morning having breakfast at uh, Bob Evans because it's stuck and things had to change and here I am. 11 months ago, I would not be coming to church. I hadn't gone to church in 40 years. I've missed one church sermon here at church personally in 10 months. So. That's a blessing. And from my testimony, I had said that I wasn't understanding. I am understanding. Okay. So, you know, I still struggle and whatnot, but I always have Rose to, to call. And we continue our we study. We study once a week at her house. We're going to Bible study classes here Wednesdays with Sharon, Fridays with Sharon, Sunday mornings here with Deb and... Linda, and I've met wonderful people. You all are so important to me, and you know what? God did that. Amen. Tell us a little bit about how your hubby came to Christ as a result of your baptism. Okay, well, it, yeah, as a result of my baptism testimony, my husband Bob, he's a little older than I am. He does have health issues, and he'll come to church once in a while, but he and I would talk, and because of Rose and Jeff and Sharon and, and whatnot, he made his profession of faith on Amen. July 2nd. So we're all one big happy family. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. You. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe see you. Yeah. Pastor Steve had read the parable of the, of the seed sowing seed and it takes a long time for seed to take root and then to yield a harvest and I think we heard just north just south of a decade of investment of time and prayer I remember Ben you went through the same thing with Haley just about a decade and so many of you we spend sometimes our lifetimes begging God to allow us to realize what it means to live the life of Christ to he, who he came to seek and to save that which was lost 
and then to grow them up into his likeness. This is really the most profound but simple reality of the Christian life, my friends. But yet it's probably the hardest uh, thing to remind ourselves and to uh, be refreshed as a congregation as to the why of our existence. Because we're busy about doing so many good and necessary things. And we just need to be reminded that the reason why we live, even though we're a cardiac nurse and we go to work 60, 70 hours a week, we function in the natural rhythms of our lives, that right around us, God has sovereignly placed people that would be saved. And if we'll pray that God would send forth laborers into his harvest, that's not pastor, teachers, and missionaries. That's you. That's me. You're praying for yourself that the Lord would send forth laborers into his harvest and that you would realize the opportunity to obey and let the Lord grow that seed and, and bring the harvest. But Rose obeyed. She didn't know if Andy was going to respond and trust Christ. But she obeyed. Amen. The glories in the obedience and the joy is in the harvest. We know that from Luke 15. But in their testimonies, you heard of some spiritual grandparenting. It's giving birth to some spiritual great-grandparenting. That's the fourth leg of that table, that definition we gave you a few minutes ago. It's individual, spirit-filled, local church, opportunity to reproduce ourselves. Someone had given Rose the gospel, Rose got saved, and that someone's training her to observe all things whatsoever I ever commanded you. Rose takes months and years to see someone else come to be saved, but now she's training Andy to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And in time, by God's grace, and God willing, Andy will lead her own soul to Christ, and then Andy will have had trained training that she can invest in the life of that person. Um, for right now, for Andy, that would seem like way overwhelming. But the blessing is she's never going to have to train that person she leads to Christ all by herself. She'll have a group going with her. And then it's just the so on and the so on. If we could all, including me, remind ourselves daily in prayer and our devotion to the Lord and our fellowship with one another, our communication with our families and each other, um, if we can discuss more and more the reason for the why of our existence. I, I really do believe, as Pastor Steve prayed earlier, uh, that this will increasingly, beginning this year, one of the greatest times of harvest our church has ever experienced. And that's why we're having the, the full month of February dedicated to prayer for many things, but particularly this thing. Because this does not happen without much prayer. We've got to rededicate ourselves to the discipline of prayer. So we understand the mind of God and the heart of Christ as we seek to be uh, the tip of that spear. Okay? So thank you. And I don't believe it would be discouraging to any of us to continue to hear testimonies like that from time to time on Sunday mornings. Do you? What a great blessing. If you'd like to share your own, just please let me know. And uh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You teenagers have had the chance to give the gospel to someone. Let's hear about that. Some of you have seen someone come saved and you're even training them as a young person in the Lord. Um, singles here, who, no matter who it is, if you want to testify of God's grace, uh, just let us know. I see every, every, everywhere I look around the auditorium, I see potential future Sunday morning testimonies.
but we're not going to freak you out and scare you and have you come up without talking first. So some of you are like, don't call on me now, Pastor Tim. And I won't, I promise. We'll try to talk to you ahead of time. So thank you, ladies. Appreciate that so very much. Uh, so profound because it's God's doing, uh, to be sure. All right. Let's continue on a little bit of a brief, brief, brief review of what we looked at regarding the theology of what it means to be a disciple maker here, and, uh, and we'll continue. All right? Um, Nick, you may have to come up and help again wherever you are if he's here. Um, the slides are not progressing on here, and, um, and now they are. Someone flipped the switch. All right. All right, very good. What disciple making is not, uh, we saw this last week. We're just going to put these up here for your review. All these notes can be sent to you, okay? Um, and we look forward to continuing to learn these together over time. There's more things that it's not, and there's more things that it is, but um, these are good things for us to be reminded of. It's not exclusively bound to a one-on-one -on -one relationship or small groups. You can be helped spiritually by someone from outside your local church, but since these marching orders are given to the church, disciple-making needs to be owned by Grace Church of Mentor for the benefit of its growing itself up into Christ-likeness. And what is it? Somewhat familiar to our definition that we read at the beginning this morning. It's normal, it's local church, it's individual, empowered by the Spirit of God as Christ builds His church. It is each saints shouldering the responsibility to spiritually reproduce themselves. It is the commitment of your life to another life for life. When Rose leads Angie to Christ, Rose knows that she's going to have the privilege and the opportunity to shepherd Andy until they both see Jesus. Right? How often and how often does that take place? Well, right now, God's laid it on their heart to meet weekly. The way we've organized it at Grace is through two particular resources. As you study the Bible together, you meet weekly, but after you're through those two resources, you start to meet monthly. Right? And after a couple more resources, as you study the Bible together, you meet once a quarter. And then once a while. Right? Because meeting weekly might not be practically efficient for Rose and Andy in the future and many other of you here that are practicing the same thing because when Andy has the opportunity to lead someone to Christ she's going to need that person for once a week and might need more space might need more time but as Andy grows in the Lord and she becomes a formal part of our church she's going to want to serve the Lord here per her giftedness and that's the, what Rose is doing and Rose is going to lead Andy to do the same and serving the Lord here becoming the shaft right that's part of the tip of the spear is going to be necessary for Andy because when Andy got saved uh, just about a year ago, that day, God gifted her with a spiritual gift or two and she's figuring out what those are with Rose and then she's going to find out, like we studied in November in 1 Peter 4, how she employs those gifts that have been given to her by the manifold grace of God to strengthen the church. And that takes time space so she says she hasn't missed a sermon here, but one in the last 11 months. Praise God for that. Worshiping, listening to preaching, all those aspects of worship take time, right? Training someone else in the word takes time. But it is life on life for life, and we need to work creatively together to create that space to do that mission together. It's best that we can. And I, I think we're going to be figuring this out until the Lord comes. But it is a commitment. We saw that in our biblical theology of history, even the hermeneutic of history and culture last week. Okay? And it does require pastors to take the lead. Sheep, scripturally, ultimately take on the life of their pastor. If the pastor's not most active in this, then the assumption is, is that sheep will fall 
follow that model. That's why we looked at Ephesians 2. Remember the church of Ephesus that was theologically sound, took a right stand, preached God's word, were faithful, and yet being the shaft of the spear wasn't enough. Remember the Lord Jesus spoke to the pastor of that church and said, unless you repent and get back to doing those first things. And the first things are what you just heard from Rose and Andy. Unless we get back to doing those first things, the Lord will remove the lampstand of his influence. And that's a haunting reminder to us. Because none of us would ever want the influence of the, of the Lord removed from us. But especially while we're really busy doing a lot of really good things. That's Ephesus. So we prayerfully together figure out again what it means to be part of that tip of the spear. We went through this last week. Our goal is not to rehash this, but just to remind you, for those of you who are newer believers, that there's three offerings of Christ's great commission in what we call the synoptic gospels. And the main verb of all three accounts is to, is to make disciples. Okay. And that's what makes Matthew 28's account different than the others. And we looked at a, an Old Testament reality together. The Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures called the Septuagint. And we found this verse in Jeremiah 12 and there's other texts in the New Testament that remind us that to be a disciple, a mathetes, is to be, the Hebrew word equivalent, the root would be a lamad, which would be uh, a full learning, a giving of our whole self to learning of the Lord and learning of the life of Christ. And we went back and took somewhat of a cultural, historic hermeneutic here. And we, and we learned that for 500 years before Jesus, that the, the way people learned, the patterns of learning were actually very well known globally. The pattern of formal teaching and learning was set forth 500 years before Christ among the philosophers, and their followers were called disciples. And we learned that these followers of the philosophers that you're familiar with, their lives exuded all these virtues that we went over last week, and that when their philosopher passed away, that, that band of followers stuck together, and they and they sought to carry forward what they had been taught by their teacher, by their philosopher. We found out as we moved into a post-exilic intertestamental, just pre-Christ time period that the Jews had their own formal way of learning and they, and they actually ramped up their formal way of learning by what they had known from those in the Hellenic time period and the followers of the Jewish written tradition, the Talmud, were called the Talmud, and, and all these things are true of their existence as well. And they're described very similarly. As you reread these as we head forward this morning. This was added by the Talmud. They were expected to serve in the Mosaic community. And theirs, of, well, was a deep commitment of their life to the giving of the, of the teaching of their rabbi for the rest of their life to remain a fellowship after that rabbi passed so that they could perpetuate what they thought to be true. The New Testament reality of discipleship is where we pick up from last week. Some 250 times in the New Testament are various forms of the um, root, the noun form here, mathetes. And we saw last week that in Matthew 9, 14, John the Baptist had his followers. Um, the Pharisees had theirs. In the chapter of his conversion, we find out that the Apostle Paul had his disciples we're not really sure of the exact time frame from his conversion to the point where he was actually able to lead people to Christ that would follow him. But it was relatively short. That was God's plan for him. It wasn't a decade. It wasn't maybe a year. We don't really know, but it was a shorter time frame. And we just know that it's soon after the Apostle Paul became saved, he had the opportunity to train 
those that he had, had led to Christ. This was tremendously countercultural in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, Tabitha Dorcas is raised from the dead. And this is the first time in recorded history where a woman would have been called a disciple. If you go 500 years before Christ in that Hellenic time period, if you were a philosopher, you only had men following you. No women were allowed in the company of the Talmud that followed the rabbis. So for a woman to be called a learner and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ here probably would have gotten Luke in a little trouble. Luke, the author of the book of Acts. Because he was stepping on some thin ice culturally. Could women really learn like men? Were they really fully souls like men? This was an era in human history that many of you are familiar with. Many cultures were trying to figure out womanhood. But God had it all figured out. He knows that every human is created in God's image is of equal spiritual value. And I think it's beautiful in the early parts of the book of Acts, which is, for those of you who are newer believers, a book of church history, how the church started and, and the story of her early days of existence. And early in this book on church history, this beautiful person is mentioned. And her name's Tabitha. And you study Acts chapter 9. We preached that text, oh, a handful of years ago for a Mother's Day morning. And after she had passed away, we realized that there's some ladies standing around her bed mourning her loss, both saved and unsaved. And they were there because she had an outreach in her community. She made handcrafted quilts for women to be warm. And she had developed friendships through that ministry into the community. And some of you ladies are figuring out how in the world do I develop redemptive relationships? Well, almost 2,000 years ago, we've got a little story of this sweet Tabitha lady. And even though she might have been confined to home taking care of the kids, and you wonder what your value and your purpose is, maybe there's something you can do for a few ladies in your neighborhood and pray for them and develop redemptive relationships and know that you're being the tip of the spear in doing so. And the value of your life is summed up right there. Men and women, don't let the world define what the value of your life is or what it isn't. We're consumed by letting the world tell us what success is and what it isn't. As dispossessed citizens of heaven headed towards a much better country than ours, this is the value of your life because it's the value of Christ's life. Powerful here. I grew up in a pastor's home and I've been part of a lot of funerals of some really godly people and those rooms have been packed. If those people that had passed on into the Lord's presence were the tip of the spear in that packed auditorium were people that had come to know Christ through their influence and had been discipled by them. Praise God for that. And in that auditorium of that believer that has passed on to the presence of the Lord, a large part of that auditorium was packed full of people who had yet to become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were there because the person had loved them as a friend. Loved them enough to have that love reciprocated to them. And in that packed auditorium, you have a large group of people who knew the love of Christ through the life of the deceased who now could be presented with that opportunity again that they had been presented by the deceased when they were living to come to Jesus. I think one of the greatest grievances of our lives upon our death 
that those that would come to mourn our loss would be the faithful churchgoers only. Those kind of words get people fired these days. <laughs> but I think that would be one of the greatest grievances for me, and I've told my wife and my kids that. The challenge to their life to go love the lost like Christ loved the lost. Amen. In a genuine way, in a holy way, live the love of Christ before them so first Peter 3.15 happens where they know you love them so much they know there's such this distinct difference about your, your love that they ask you why you love the way you love and then you have a chance to give them an answer and you can share Christ with them Lydia is a excuse me, a Tabitha here is a phenomenal, of course Lydia in Acts 16 as well uh, Upon these two ladies' shoulders, really, the, the gospel comes to the Western Hemisphere. Profound influence of women in gospel ministry and history, it starts there. But Jesus was always clarifying what made up a true follower. He said in John 10, 27 to 29, that many of you are familiar with, my sheep hear my voice and I know them because they what? They follow me. Sounds familiar to 500 years earlier. Aristotle could say, I know my methetes because they hear my teaching and they what? They follow me. And they're learning. Matthew eleven twenty eight, the Lord Jesus Christ says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And then he said something that got him killed. What was that? In that text, he offers to his disciples, to his Talmud, something that no philosopher or rabbi had ever offered their followers before, and that was, if you follow me, I will give you rest for your soul. There's only one divine human being in all of history that could offer soul rest, and it was Jesus Christ. And in that offer, he was claiming deity. He was claiming to be God because in a Jewish mindset, only God could forgive sins. He says, no, follow me and, and you'll know soul rest. And if you follow me, I'm going to pray for your obedience. And he does that in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He prays for the obedience of the saints living in his time and he prays for your obedience and my obedience in the same context. Hours before his time of passion and suffering. So when he shows up to have that discussion or to offer that um, ask or to make that demand to Levi and the sons of thunder and Philip, and he says, okay, follow me. follow me to the sons of thunder he says follow me and I will make you fishers of mankind follow me and you will live the same reason I'm living as fishermen not as pastor teachers not as missionaries in your industry I'm calling you to me to soul rest for the purposes of mission." And we know now that when those men would have heard that demand or that ask to follow me, that there's several hundred years of human history where they would have understood what that meant. And folks, remember how dedicated, unsaved lovers of Greek philosophy could be and the fellowship of their philosophers. Remember how many unsaved religious people there would have been in Judaism following unsaved teachers of the law and the rabbis. Now, look at the dedication. We've already rehearsed 
the virtuous, committed, disciplined ways in which they followed those folks. So when Jesus says, follow me, and someone's truly converted, they know. I'm going to learn. I'm going to obey. I'm going to mimic. I'm going to live the life of my, fa- of my leader, Jesus Christ. And we know the disciples did that imperfectly so, didn't they? I mean, it's always an amazing to all of us when we read First and Second Peter, and we remember that that's the same guy back in the Gospels who answered the call to follow and knew what that meant. And we see all those imperfect things that he did on his way to being an evangelist, on his way to being an author of Scripture. And we, we were amazed by that grace. So there's no perfection involved with being developed as a disciple maker. The Lord Jesus still makes the call and he supplies the grace for our gradual development unto that goal. Of course, when Jesus passes, there's a fellowship form somewhat of a, a prophecy of this fellowship in Mark 3.14 where Jesus reminds the disciples that he had chosen them to be with them so that he could send them. And the sending would be the development of the New Testament local church in Acts chapter 2. When they became part of that New Testament local church from the time of their conversion and then at the beginning of the local church, these folks were committed. Jesus taught to his disciples, anyone that puts his hand to the plow and, and removes it is not worthy of me. See, Jesus knew of the commitment of pagan followers, of philosophers and rabbis. And he knew the miraculous work on top of that that he had done by grace to regenerate and convert a heart and to give them soul peace. So certainly someone who claims to know Jesus will follow him. And we'll be helped to follow him. And perfectly so. But we'll follow nonetheless. And Jesus asked his followers to serve. That was the pledge of allegiance of his own life in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And certainly that's part of that development of us as Rose teaches Andy and many of you teach each other what it means to serve through our giftedness to the strengthening and the building up of the body so the body can be healthy within so that we can go out and be the tip of the spear among those who need the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus added something that the philosophers and the rabbis until his time had not discussed with their followers and he said, if you're going to live for me, you're going to suffer for my namesake. That's where we go back 30 minutes and say this is going to be hard. That's where we go back to the parable of the, of the soils and we realize among all of the descriptions of seed falling on various kinds of soil, there's really only one. that Many are going to start and quite a large handful aren't going to finish. Many of you have started with many that have walked away and you've wept together. You've groaned in your spirit before the Lord because you know how tragic that is. And you love those people. Pray them back and love them back. If they truly said, yes, I'll follow certainly a degree of suffering even in that but Jesus added something else he added reward John 12 and John 14 among many other texts the promise 
the eternal promises of God made to his earthly followers in Jesus Christ become the incentive for us to live now. And we become like Paul in time in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is what? Is gain. We sang of that this morning in our hymns. This is all under God's sovereign oversight. For someone that's part of the fellowship of Rabbi Jesus, that's you and me in this local church. We certainly embrace those promises that are for us here and now, but we live with the hope of our calling, of all these eternal blessings that will be ours the moment we breathe our last on this earth. That's why there's the sting of death is removed in a large part. First John chapter 4, that's why the love of God has removed the fear of judgment. So we finish with a couple questions for you this morning. Do you long to be the tip of the spear? Or have you always thought, I'll be faithful to church and I'll leave that up to other people who seem to be better at it than I? That's a common statement. That's not one I'm preaching down at. But I just want to invite you to realize that the Great Commission was given to all of us. Amen. What a great opportunity that becomes as we wake up every morning and we pray that we might be the person that could live in love like Christ to see someone brought to him and be one of his disciples and then wow our pastors have provided for us what we're going to study together in God's word for the rest of our lives as we teach them to observe all things whatsoever God has commanded us and Jesus says what I will be with those people until the end of the age I'll empower them and I'll presence them. I will be with them until the end of the age. We've got to do it together. And then we have to finish with the question, well, yes, I would like to become that. I haven't been. I want to pray about that. I want to discuss that with the pastors or with other people here. But boy, this really sounds like it's going to take a lot of time. I don't know that I have that time. That's why we at Grace, a handful of years ago, we started to open up regularly scheduled services where you could disciple right here. You're already coming. We want to equip you to do the work of that ministry as we equip you for opportunities to serve for your giftedness as well. So that's why you see people out here at the tables during Sunday school and Wednesday night and on Sunday evenings investing in each other around the Word of God and the goal is what? When we sit, we have the opportunity to observe these things together scripturally. We always want to begin each time with praying for our lost friends and relatives. Because being the tip of the spear has two sides to it. We're going, the making disciples is going, it assumes conversion, but then it also assumes observing spiritual things and growing up into Christ's likeness. Only we do it together. And so you want to pray for lost family, co-workers, friends. And then you study, and you get more healthy so that you can go without and have our eyes lifted unto harvest fields that are ready to be harvested, okay? That's it. That's it. And I'm still learning that. We've got a long way to go but I think one of the best ways we can learn it is not only to rehearse its theology, but then to hear how it's being practiced. So that's why we're going to have the testimonies from time to time on Sunday morning services. Amen. Right? Because the best way to learn it is from those who are learning it together. And I'm telling you, Jesus said, I will build my church. And he is. And being the tip of the spear is certainly, <laughs> I believe, the largest part of the sustainability and the perpetuity of the church until Jesus comes.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much for <coughs> this look into your word. and We love you for your patience with me and with us and as we seek to continue to try to learn this together. We want to stand before you, Lord, someday and all of us want to hear those words the Apostle Paul speaks, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and Help us to understand the, the scope of what servanthood actually is through the life of our chief servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we hear the greatest virtue of the Christian life is not just the righteousness of Christ that we've been imputed with, we, we hear this, this virtue of faithfulness faithfulness to the whole will, the whole counsel of the word of God. This certainly, faithfulness is, is epitomized, it's, it's recognized, it's modeled by our Savior himself. Help us to live his faithfulness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You are open to 1 Thessalonians 5, that's where I was going to finish. And it says this, God is faithful who has called you, who will also bring it to pass. We've already reviewed that over a year ago. We don't need to again this morning. You can go back and find that recording. But on your own time, maybe this week, I want you to take that attribute of our God. God is faithful who called you. He saved you. To do what? Bring what to pass? Go back to chapter 1. And ask God for wisdom to show you what he brought to pass personally in the life of the young Thessalonian believers in those chapters in relationship to being the tip of the spear. And underline it. He'll show you. He'll show you. That's what God's faithful to. All right, let's sing together.